0: This morning follows right in the, the footsteps of what Brother Simon preached last week. And uh, it would be easy to, to say, well, you've just copied Brother Simon's message or you've just uh, taken that as inspiration. But the truth is that God gave me the central thought to this message before Brother Simon preached. And we hadn't been in conversation so... God just wants to talk to us. God wants to speak to us about these things. The title of the message this morning is to teach a parent. To teach a parent. We're going to start with something that will set the the stage for what I want to say, Um, but may not immediately seem to have anything to do with the subject. Children of Israel were in Egypt. Um, they'd been oppressed. They'd been cruelly treated. They uh, had been slaves at the hand of Pharaoh. But God brought them out of that land of Egypt. And God led them uh, through the wilderness and to a, a place called Kadesh Barnea. Now, Kadesh Baniyya, um Moses appointed 12 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go and spy out the land and bring back a report. And they did that and they came back and 10 of the spies brought back an evil report saying we can't take over the land, we can't do this, even with the power of God, and two, brought a good report. And so God was fed up with Israel, with all of their winching, all of their complaining, all of their rebellion, And he wanted to wipe out Israel and start again with Moses. But Moses pleaded with God not to do it. And if I can get you all to turn to Numbers, and we'll start with chapter 14 and verse 17. So I'm just setting the stage this morning. So Numbers chapter 14 and verse 17. And this is Moses, the end of his, his pleading with God not to destroy all of Israel. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation." "'Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, "'and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now.' "'And the Lord said,' so this is God himself, "'I have pardoned according to thy word. "'But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. "'Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness "'and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice,' Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. So we have a picture here of Israel being rebellious, Israel tempting God, Israel just um, always complaining, winching, saying that that God wasn't good enough, God wasn't able to bring them out, God was going to let them die in the desert. And then we read more about Caleb in Joshua 14 and verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And this is after... Um, they've wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. This is after they've come back. And this is after they've started to conquer the land. Um, and all of the, the people um, who, who were there, all, the, all of the elders, all of the, the parents had 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 died uh, except for Caleb and Joshua. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, "'concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, "'sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, "'and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. "'Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me "'made the heart of the people melt, "'but I wholly followed the Lord my God. "'And Moses sware on that day, saying, "'Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden "'shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, "'because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God.' And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And lo, and now lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, eighty-five years old. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spoke in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be that the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. This was a man of faith. This was a man that knew that God could do anything. This was a man that knew he could trust in God and in his word. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of, God, of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite unto this day because that he fo- wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. There was nothing half-hearted, there was nothing wishy-washy about Caleb and his, his following of God and his belief in God and his trusting in the God of Israel. Now we all know about Caleb and his great deeds. They're quite well known, they're preached on quite often how he steadfastly stood his ground and refused to give an evil report of the land, and his faith, and how he believed in God. But how much do we know about Othniel, Caleb's nephew? In Joshua 15.13, it says, And unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he, he, I'm talking about Joshua, gave a, a part among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Abba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir, and the name of Debur before was Kerjasipha. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjasipha and taketh it to him, will I give Aksah, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Aksah, his daughter, to wife. So this is the first time we read about Othniel. Othniel was Caleb's nephew. He was the son of Kenaz, who was Caleb's brother. He was also a mighty man of valor. He took the city of Kirjeshsefer and thus married Caleb's daughter. But that's not all we read about Othniel in the Bible. In Judges chapter 3, starting from verse 1, It starts talking about the nations that God left in the land. And uh, they they had commandments to go and, and, uh, and basically um, kill everybody in the land or cause them to flee out of the land because this was the land that God had promised to his children Israel. So he gave them instructions not to to leave people in the land, uh, not to leave nations because they would come in, um, they, they would marry the daughters and they would uh, turn them away from God and to their idols. But in Judges three one it says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel has had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof namely five lords of the Philistines and all of the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal-Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So God put in a testing and a trying and a proving of the children of Israel whether they would follow him or not. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites and Amorites, and Parasites and Hivites and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. It's something that we see over and over again, played out again and again and again. It's like deja vu over and over again. They just kept falling away from God. They kept falling into idol worship. They kept doing what God didn't want them to do. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgat the Lord their God and served Baalim and the groves. Therefore the anger was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Chushan Rishethim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan Rishethim eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Trishan Rishaethim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Trishan Rishaethim. And the land had rest forty years, and Othniel the son of Kenaz died. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon the king of Moab against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. So Othniel was also one of the judges of Israel and is named with mighty men like Samson that we read about in Judges. And Othniel gave Israel great victory over the king of Mesopotamia who had been oppressing Israel for eight whole years. No one stood up. No one was able to stand up at that time for those whole eight years. But then Israel cried out to God. And God used Othniel to deliver them from that. So both Caleb and Othniel had a different spirit to all of those around them. They stood up when it counted. They were willing to do the work of God when it wasn't popular. Do you think that it is coincidence that these two close relatives were both receptive to God and able to be used of God during these times? Out of an untold number of families in Israel that continually rebelled against God, from father to son to grandson, do you think that it was just chance that these two men were among the most significant men of their time? I would submit to you that it is not chance or coincidence, but that there is a common factor that made all of the difference. Caleb's parents, Jephunneh and his wife, were the ones who instilled the fear of God and his ways into Caleb and into Kenaz, his brother. The fact that Jephunneh is even mentioned in the Bible is significant, but it also gives the information that he is a Kenazite. Now, a Kenazite is a descendant of Kenaz. But the only other Kenaz we read about in the Bible before Jephunneh is Kenaz, the son of Eliphaz, who was the son of Esau. Yes, that's the same Esau that we read about in the account of Jacob and Esau where Esau lost his birthright because of a bowl of lentil soup. However, Caleb is listed as being of the tribe of Judah. So it's not talking about that Kenaz, the grandson of Esau, because the children of Esau had their own land when the children of Israel came back from Egypt in Mount Seir, which God had allocated to them. So this Kenaz must have been both a descendant of Judah and an ancestor of Jephunneh. We don't have full lineages for everyone in the Bible. we're talking about millions and millions of people and the children of Israel, so there would uh, need to be an awful lot more space for that to be possible. So God only gives specific people, uh, mentions specific people by name because of their importance. So this Kenaz, yes, must have been both a descendant of Judah and an ancestor of Japhana, And this Kenaz must have been a great man because both Jephunneh... And also one of Caleb's sons, Elah, named a son after him. They both had sons of the name of Kenaz. After all, you don't normally name your children after the black sheep of your family. And if you do name your children after an ancestor of yours, it's always someone in your family that has done something great or someone who is greatly respected. So somewhere in Jephunneh's ancestry, someone made a choice that they weren't going to follow after the ways of the people and of the nations around them but they were going to follow after god it may have been jefana 's parents that instilled that same respect reverence and fear into jeffana or even something that came down the line from jeffana's ancestor kenaz himself but we aren't given that level of detail it could even have been that this dedication to god came from Jefana and his wife themselves that they broke the mold of their parents and said, we're going to serve God and teach the ways of God to our children. And they taught it diligently to their sons Caleb and Kenaz. And it was Kenaz and his wife that instilled those same principles into Othniel as well. Jephunneh and his wife had a godly effect on their children and also their children's children after them, because they deemed the word of God and his ways vitally important so important that they made sure that their children knew the God of Israel and not just knew about the God of Israel. They instilled a respect and a godly reverence and fear for God and his ways into these men. Do you think that Caleb would have had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, as God himself says to Moses, if Jephunneh and his wife had treated God lightly and his ways lightly? if they had spoken against Moses continually and been bitter against God? These things have a huge effect on how children see the things of God. Do you think that Othniel would have been such a mighty man that was greatly used of God if Jephunneh had not taught the ways of God so strongly to Kenaz that Kinez then made sure that he taught them to Othniel as well? If you start teaching your children God's ways in the right manner, there is no telling how many generations will be affected and inspired to follow God to the best of their ability. And if you start treating the ways of God lightly and backbiting the pastor and people in the church, there is no telling how many generations will be affected and turned away from the things of God permanently. Do you want to know why the children of Israel kept backsliding, then coming back to God and then backsliding again? You see it all through the book of Judges. Every time the children of Israel fell into sin and worshipped other gods, God allowed them to be oppressed by the other nations around them. And when they finally cried to God, out to God as a nation, in a last desperate attempt to rid themselves of their horrendous burdens, God sent them a deliverer, a judge. And then the judge led them in the ways of God, But when the judge died, not long after that, the people of Israel fell back into sin and idolatry. And this happens time and time again, all the way through the book of Judges. Then, when the kings were appointed by God to be over the children of Israel, Israel followed God only when there was a good king. You see, Israel were a nation that never really got the concept of following God. One generation was on fire for God, And then the next generation quickly forgot and made all the same mistakes that their grandfathers made. Israel never kept one of the most important commandments of all. Maybe the second most important commandment because it's listed straight after the most important one. And it's not even one of the ten commandments that I'm talking about. If we could all turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll start from verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey." And then we go on into what Jesus calls the greatest commandment of all in the New Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then it continues on, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt te- teach them diligently unto thy children and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. God was trying to get through to them just how important these things were. It's what they needed to do. They needed to have it on their mind continually. They needed to teach it to their children. They needed to do... Um, All of these things so that they didn't forget. There needed to be a passion. There needed to be something within them that said, I need to tell this to the next generation. I need to tell this to my children and to my children's children. And then when we go on down further to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 20. And when thy son asked thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for a good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. God wanted them when their son said, when the son says, you know, why do we do all of th- these things? Why do we do this so so diligently? Why do we do this with with such vigor, with such determination and God wanted them to remember where they'd come from. God wanted them to remember everything that had happened in the past and how God had been awesome and mighty and powerful in their lives and delivered them and brought them through everything that had come in their way. But Israel never really got what these passages meant. I don't think that Israel ever really got what the greatest commandment meant either. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Because if they had really held on to this commandment, all of the other commandments would have fallen into place. Israel instead seems to have followed God, when they actually did follow God, with their heads only and not their hearts. They followed God by rote only without really believing what they were doing. They focused on the laws and commandments out of obedience and not with love, not with any any, uh, understanding of just how great God was, of what he could do for them, of what he had done for them in their past. And this meant that they didn't follow the rest of the passage, which is both a commandment and a plea by God for them to teach their children the ways of God. It continues on down that passage and it goes into blessings and curses. Blessing if they would follow God and walk in His ways and and keep going on down the generations. And a curse if they would not do those things. And it goes into great detail in the blessings that God would give them. And great detail about the curses that God would place on them. Those that did follow this commandment did it out of a sense of duty only. And it was done half-heartedly. Their children picked up on that and saw their attitudes to God that their parents treated his ways lightly without any passion and they picked up the same attitudes from their parents. So whenever any temptation came their way or they saw others fall into sin and idolatry they treated the ways of God with the same respect that their parents did. Their parents failed to pass on anything concrete as to why they should serve God and God alone their parents failed to instill a love and a respect and a reverence for God into their children. It wasn't important to them, so it wasn't important to their children either. Those that actually taught their children didn't show that they truly believed God heart and soul. They were half-hearted, and that came through in their teaching. So their children, from generation to generation, did their own thing time and time and time again. And it's the same with us and our children. As parents, those of us that are parents, we are responsible for bringing up our children in the way in which they should go. In Proverbs 22 and 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, our children will always have their own choices to make when they come of age. But what happens before they come of age? What are we doing in their lives before They come to that point where they make a choice. How are we laying the framework for their lives? How are we laying the framework for their respect of God, for their respect for God's people, their respect for the authority of God in their lives? How can they make the right decision if we don't teach them the ways of God? And if we teach the ways of God half-heartedly, we aren't teaching anything at all. You see, our children aren't stupid even right from, from very, very young, they're not stupid. They can pick up whether something is really important to us or not. If we teach our children that it is important to be in the house of God, to be in church, and then don't come to as many services as we possibly can, what are we really teaching them? We're teaching them that it's not important to be in church at all. If we teach our children to respect other people and people in authority, and then backbite against the pastor or other people in the church, what are we teaching them? We're teaching them that God and the church aren't really important, that they're nothing to be looked at or respected. It's an old saying, but it's never been more true. Our actions speak louder than our words. And to paraphrase what Brother Simon said last week in his message, We are one generation away from establishing a dynasty of service to God and one generation away from establishing a dynasty of indifference to God. A dynasty, a bloodline, something that goes down from generation to generation, passed on from the father to the children to the children's children. A dynasty. If we teach our children with passion that God is real and encourage and guide them as much as we can to have a relationship with God, then we can set up a dynasty where all of our descendants will follow and serve God to the fullest. But if we don't teach our children now about God, or if we do teach them but do it half-heartedly or with hypocrisy, we can set up a dynasty where none of our children will follow God at all, from your children to your children's children, all of the way down the line where as soon as you are gone or even before, they will go their own way and teach their children the same things. Just like Eli, the high priest in the Bible. You see, Eli was the high priest over the children of Israel. Eli was a man of God, believed in God, and followed God the way that he knew how. And there was nothing really wrong with how Eli followed God. But Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phineas, And these sons were, well, the Bible calls them children of Belial or children of, of the devil. And they did incredibly wicked things to the children of Israel. They abused their authority and uh, they caused the children of Israel to do much wickedness because they didn't follow God. And Eli didn't pull them in. Eli didn't rein them in when they went bad. And so there was no strength within him. He followed God himself, but he didn't teach his children. He didn't teach his children the importance of what they were doing. The, the only thing the Bible records of him saying is, is basically basically, chiding um, um, them just a little bit with the tongue. My sons, you know, this is not a good thing to do. You should not be doing these things. And he didn't teach his children before. He didn't make it. um, He didn't make it impress it upon them. He didn't do it with such a passion that they would realize and know and respect and understand God and His judgments and what He was able to do in their lives and what he and and just the respect and the reverence that they should have for God and for God's things. That wasn't instilled in them right from the word go. That wasn't instilled in them from a youth, because they were just let to do their own things, they were let to do left alone to do this wickedness. And God pronounced judgment upon Eli, upon his sons, and upon the whole generations afterwards, that there would not be an old man in their lineage. Forever and ever. Not just Eli, not just his sons, but all the way down their whole generations. God gave a curse upon them because of Eli not doing what he should have done. Not teaching his children, not making it vitally important that they follow in the ways of God. God caused great judgments to come on Eli, his sons Hophni and Phinehas, They all died within a short period of time and on all their descendants because Eli didn't teach and enforce the ways of God to his children. And God raised up someone else from outside to take their place a young boy named Samuel. If I could get someone to the piano, please. The Bible talks about training up a child in the way they should go. But who will teach the parents? Who will teach the parents that it's vitally important to bring up a child in the ways of God and in the house of God? It's not enough to give lip service to God and the church because you know it's the right thing to do. Your actions, the way you act, the way you react, the way you talk will teach the child the complete opposite. And your hypocrisy might turn your child completely away from God and His ways for generations to come. Your children, your children's children, and all of the way down the line. It's up to you as parents to talk the talk and walk the walk. If your children see that you are half-hearted in serving God and being in church, they will treat the church with the same contempt that you do. And if your children hear you talk against the church or people in the church, or the pastor, they're not going to make choices to follow God in the future because they will see the way that you respect God, the way that you respect the church. You will turn them away with your attitudes and with your bitterness. If you want your children to follow God, there's only one way, to follow God with your whole heart and to teach your children diligently about God and about His ways. You see, that's what the children of Israel never worked out. And they fell away from God generation upon generation upon generation. Don't make the same mistake that Israel did. And you won't have to suffer the same consequences that they did. Don't think that your children will make their own choices to follow God when they're ready. When it gets to that point, it's too late. There are too many other voices calling to them from the world. And any little voice you might give to them at that time or anything you might do half-heartedly will easily get drowned out. The world has such a strong pull on people, especially the youths of this world. You need to make a positive difference to your children in teaching them both about the ways of God and also the importance of following God. It needs to be something within you that would drive you to say, to teach to, to show just how important it is to follow God, that it's something that's more important than their school, something that's more important than their friends, something that's more important than their hobbies, something that's more important than their sport, that it's more important than anything else that they could do in this world. You need to make a positive difference to your children. You have to be set in your mind... The world has its mind already set for all of its wickedness, for all of its supposedly bright lights. I invite you to the altar if you would like to make a stand as a parent, as a family, that this won't be the generation that falls away from God, but this will be the generation that serves God with their whole heart, with their whole mind, with their whole strength, I invite you to come to commit your life and the lives of your children to God. Not half-heartedly, or with passion. Realizing that this is the most important thing that you could do for both you and for your children. I invite you to come. Please come. Please begin that dynasty of service to God and God alone. And there are those of you who haven't got a family yet, but it's too late. To, to once you have children, once they've come along, and then decide, well, you know, I should really start following God. I should really start teaching my children now. You need to make a decision now. You need to make a decision that you will follow God, that your husband or your wife will also follow God, and that your children will follow God as well. This isn't something that should, that should be light to you. This isn't something that you should say, well, yeah, all right, that's fine but this should be something that should drive you. This should be something that should cause you to come and to say, God, this is important. This is something that I just, I have to do because I want my children to follow you. I want to follow you. I want my children to follow you. I want my children's children to follow you. So I invite you to come. I invite you to make that decision, that choice, that commitment today. And make a difference in your life. Make a difference in the life of your children and your children's children.